You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. This is the morning sermon for Sunday, April 23rd, 2017. This is part of our series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take you a copy of God's Word and find the Gospel of John. We're making our way through John's Gospel. We kind of came up with a big picture theme of the book, uh, Look and Live. Uh, the idea that Jesus Christ came and he lived, as we know from the Gospel of John, um, at the end of the Gospel, John says, I write these things so that you may believe and have eternal life. And so as you go through the Gospels, they are different than, let's say, the epistles, uh, where the writings of Paul were full of imperatives and this and that and do and don't do, and it's very Uh, You know, as we go through there, it's pretty obvious what is taking place. The Gospels are somewhat different, but I think they're just as as, uh, easy to understand from the standpoint. All Jesus Christ is doing is pointing everyone to who he truly is. And that he is the answer that we began to see played out in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the great answer, the eongelion, the good news that overcomes the serpent and the fallenness of man is found in Jesus Christ. Take your Bible. Last week we looked at a wedding and an empty tomb. And this week as we continue the journey, and so literally what Christ is doing from, from the baptism waters of John the Baptist, he is literally making his way to the cross. And he faces opposition. He performs miracles and signs. There are seven to eight miracles and signs throughout John's gospel that is pointing people to his deity and, and who that he is. And so he turned the, the water into wine and he went with his family and disciples. And we see here to uh, the Passover. And so turn, if you will, John two thirteen. So the Passover of Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, interesting fact about you always go up to Jerusalem. You could, you could be north of Jerusalem, but you always went up to Jerusalem. I think it, it speaks a lot, but more than anything, it was just higher than you had to always go up to Jerusalem. I do think it points a great picture of the temple and all that it represented. They always went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple he found who were selling oxen and Sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeon, take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house would consume me. And that was from Psalm 69, the Psalm of David. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, can you imagine them sitting there? I, mean, I, I, I always catch myself in, in sermon preparation and Bible meditation and as I'm doing that. Just the look on their faces that had to just be so pointed. Who do, who do you think you are? The Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Here's some great encouragement for us today. Let me just stop right there. How often do you get frustrated when you try to talk to someone about the absolute truths of scripture and the gospel and they deny it? And you're in a, in a face-to-face conversation with them and they look at you like you're crazy and you almost feel like maybe you're doing something wrong. Listen, Jesus Christ himself was speaking to dead hearts and they would not even acknowledge Christ himself. But he was not speaking about the temple, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one, and notice it, he needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word. Give me the the clarity of mind and heart. Give me a, a sense of your leading as you allow me to proclaim your word this morning. Let us truly see what worship. Let us truly see what the gospel. Let us truly see Christ, who you are as we open up your word in this text. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So Jesus is going to the temple to worship. One of my, one of many, I always say one of my favorite, one of my my favorite authors is Donald Whitney and he wrote a book that I use over and over and over and over. It's funny, I, I don't remember the year I first read the book, but I still have that original copy and it's literally held together with electrical tape and duct tape. And uh, he is a, a Baptist professor as he's taught in a, several of our seminaries. He's a great writer. Actually, his book, if it's not sold out, is out on our book display out there. Donald Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And he defines worship this way. The word worship comes from the Saxon word, and I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, worship, which later became worthship. To worship God is to ascribe the proper worth to God, to magnify the worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as he is worthy. As the holy and almighty God, the creature and sustainer of the universe, the sovereign judge to whom we must give an account, he is worthy of all and worth and honor we give him and then infinitely more. Worship also often includes words and actions, but it goes beyond them to focus on the mind and the heart. Worship is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. So no matter what we are saying or singing or doing in any moment, 
You are worshiping God only when you are focused on him and thinking of him. What a great collection of thoughts on worship. Worship is about what we do with who we really are. Our, our inner person to a holy and a, a well-deserving God. The master, the ruler of the entire universe. What a, what a privilege it is to worship God and to give him what he is worth. When Christ came into the temple to do just that to his heavenly father, what did he see? I often wonder if Christ could come into our midst, what would he see? And then I'm reminded, he is in our midst. What does he see? To understand true worship, I think we have to understand who Christ is and what he has done. I'd like to take a, just a few moments this morning. I want us to look at, at three things I think that are very important that we understand and that we grasp. One, I want us to see there in those first few verses what Jesus Christ understands about faithful worship. Notice there that the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to the Jerusalem in the temple. Now just think about the temple for a moment. I did some refreshing. Sometimes even though you, you, you learn, anybody guilty of this? I turned 51 last week. By the way, that, y'all got me. For those that don't have any idea what went on, I didn't either, y'all. I think my daughter had more to do with it with my wife because my wife has a birthday coming up in a couple of weeks. She'll be 50 in a couple of weeks. My wife's going to be 50. So as you ride up and down 27, just keep your eyes on those digital colored billboards. Somebody's 50. Payback is so bad when the pastor's in the pulpit for surprise birthday parties. But sometimes you forget. I'm, what I'm getting is you get older, you forget things. I want to give us a very quick refresher on the temple. You remember when, when the, the people came out of Egypt and they were wandering in the desert and God said, okay, build me a, a tabernacle that will represent who I am. It's amazing though, because we see that the word became flesh in the beginning of John's gospel and he tabernacled with his people. And so you could see as you go through the Old Testament, there was that constant desire for not a, a temporary tabernacle, but a real structure and a building. You can see David, as we look at uh, through the Old Testament, David had a desire to build the temple for God in Jerusalem, but because of his life and the blood that he shed, God said, no, but I would allow your son to build this temple. So real quick, the first temple was Solomon's temple. Now we remember the temple, the temple was built and it was considered the house of the Lord where you worship God. It was a reminder of the people's sin and the separation between them and God and the sacrificial system. So every time you saw the temple, you thought about sacrifice, you thought about need and the people were reminded that they are separated from God because of the sin in Adam and Eve and you would take your sacrifices there. It was a reminder of sin, but the temple was also a place of forgiveness. 
And it was a place that you could come and you could worship God. Solomon built the first temple around 957 B.C. It was a beautiful building and an extravagant building. And Solomon, you know, spared no resources and cost. In 586 B.C., we know from Scripture that when the Babylonians came into Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple. And so Solomon's temple was destroyed. The second temple was built. We know from Ezra and Nehemiah and King Cyrus allowed the exiles to go back from captivity and they built the temple and they built the walls around the city. We're familiar with Ezra and Nehemiah. That began in 538 BC and took some 23 years to build. And after the second temple was built, some 400 years in in between, there was a series of of Gentile rulers and all in Jerusalem, and there would be a a sprucing up of the temple and a tearing down of the temple. There was just a a lot of things going on as the nation of Israel and Jerusalem was in unrest. It's amazing. It seems it's always in unrest. Could be they're still unrest because they have forgotten that Jesus Christ has come. Historical side note, you may have remembered this from just your history lessons, that it was during this time that the, the Greek king Antichus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the Holy of Holies. And it was declared unfit, sparking the Maccabean revolt of 16. 167 BC, these things would have taken place in between Malachi and the New Testament. So now we come to Jesus' day and we see the great temple that Christ would have walked in and seen. We call that Herod's temple. Here's a great thing to understand. Herod was not a born again believer. He was not a believer in God and who God was, but yet God used him to build a temple. Don't put your hope in political things. Put your hope in the God that can use anything to bring about his glory. So we have Herod's temple. It would have began construction around 20 BC and we see in the text at 40 something years. At this point on, after Christ would have, the the closing of the canon of scripture, after these things would have taken place, especially with the gospels, there would have been a continuous unrest. Rome was in place. And you even think about what, when Christ was being tried, all the Roman empire wanted to do is to keep everybody happy in Jerusalem. So you had Roman leaders and their, their goal in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, in, in Galilee, in this area, keep everybody happy. No unrest. So you can imagine getting an email from Rome. There's a revolt. I told you, keep everything happy in Jerusalem. They weren't God-fearing people. They, just were, they were thinking about the, the empire. Keep everything happy. And after a series of revolts, after Christ and the Gospels, after a series of revolts in A.D. 70... Titus, the Roman general, came in and he completely destroyed Herod's temple. Historians say that he would have lined the inner chambers of the, of the temple with wooden uh, the things stacked up against the, the block and would have completely burned the entire uh, temple area. It would have burned it in such a, such a way, history says, that the gold and all the fine materials would have melted in such a way that it would have melted into the cracks of the stones to the point that the Roman soldiers, to get at the stones, would have taken the temple apart stone by stone. What did Jesus say? 
in Matthew 24. There will be a day when this temple will be taken apart stone by stone. And now we know where parts of the temple would have been, but it was never rebuilt. And so we have Christ coming and looking at Herod's great temple that regardless of what his motives were, he built the temple for the Jews to keep them happy so that they could worship God. And we see here in verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why did Jesus go up to Jerusalem? Well, we see first, as we look at this text, Jesus in faithful worship. He knew that the Passover commemorated the the death angel in Exodus 12 and 13 passing through the nation of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. And if you would have not have put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost, the death angel would have come through and taken the first son. And so Jesus, being a faithful worshiper of God, he would have come to the temple. You could say it this way, Jesus had a desire this day. Jesus' desire was to please the Father. Think about our worship. I'm going to pick on all of us for a minute. This is what I like to call shotgun preaching. It just hits everybody. You know what I struggle with as a pastor? I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's just true. Pray for me. A lot of times when I come to church on Sunday morning, I don't know if my greatest desire is to please my Father. Sometimes it may be as simple as this. I hope the sound's working this week. Is the air going to work? Are the teachers going to be here? I hope my sermon's good. How long is my sermon going to be? If I go over, will people get unrest and get mad at me? What if it's too short? What if this? What is that? So I come to work. What about you? When you're driving to worship, are you trying to get Pop-Tarts off the kids' faces before you pull up in the parking lot? One of my funny little family stories is the dad and mom get out of the car with the kids and the dad walks up to the door, true story. Hey, brother pastor, hey, everybody, guy, great to be in the Lord's house. And the wife was right behind him. She says, I cannot believe he's acting that way. We just had a knockdown drag out coming to church. Typical man, it's okay. I wonder how many of us had a knockdown drag out this morning. And you're worried about what you're going to do the rest of the day, mad at your spouse or your kids. Or we're worried about our lesson or we're worried about this, we're worrying about that. Our desire ought to be Monday looking at worship on Sunday. Our desire Tuesday ought to be looking at worship on Sunday. Our desire ought to be throughout the week. We are gathering as the corporate body of Christ to worship God. Every song that we sing should be a a song to the Lord. Everything that we do ought to be to, to please our Father. I don't have any doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ walked into that temple to please his Father. Even though he was the temple, he came to please the Father. But what did he find? He went up to Jerusalem, the temple of those he found selling ox and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there and making whips of core. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the, the money changers and the overturned tables. 
He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father a, a house of trade. If you understand the lay of the temple, what would have been, this would have been the, the court of the Gentiles and they would have been outside the, the, the main entrance for the Jews to come and worship. Now, think about this for a second. Here, here's, our, here's church today in America. What can we do to make it better for people? What can we do to make worship better for people? These people are traveling a long way and they don't have an animal to sacrifice. Let's sell animals. It makes sense. And they're traveling a long way to come and celebrate the Passover. So we'll do a good thing. So the good thing will be, instead of somebody having to bring them animals with them, these good faithful Jews, when they get there, we'll have them ready for them and they could sell them. Isn't it amazing how good things become bad things so quick? And the one place that the Gentile could gather and worship God and pray to God as a Gentile was the court of the Gentiles. But they can't do that because it would have looked like a, a you know, a, a, I don't know what it would have looked like, just selling going on in tables. Now think about that. The one place that they could come and, and rightfully be and worship and seek God would be like, and I'm not making fun of gun shows, a gun show just came to my mind. You know, you walk in a gun show and there's just tables everywhere and you go to anything that women go to. I don't know if women go to gun shows, whatever y'all go to, pocketbook shows. You know, you, and it's just table after table after table. Hey, my doves are better than their doves. My sheep is better than their sheep. Our money's better than their money. Can you imagine what happens? So I think that happens a lot of time in our world. We just, we, we do something to try to be good, but we take our focus off of things of God. I wonder how many of us sitting here right now can honestly say, I am worshiping God. A few weeks, several weeks ago, I talked about being a, a church, healthy church. And remember me saying that it, you're never going to be, we're never going to be a healthy church until our relationships are right and our hearts are right. And it's sad to say that in so many of our churches in America today, we sit there and we talk about worshiping a God and we've got so many things this are not right in our own life. There's no way that we can worship God if we know things are not right in our life. Jesus Christ walked up in his father's house to worship the father and he sees that. They were saying that worship is about them and not him. You know, there are different ways that we can sing. There are different types of music that I enjoy more than others. But it's not the music I'm coming to worship. It's not the building I'm coming to worship. It's not the way that we do things that we're coming to worship. Everything we do is so that we can worship him. It's easy to let good things get in the way. I don't know why, and I, a word that is used is, for some reason we have tried to, to dumb down church so more people will come to it. I read an article one time that talked about take your crosses down in the church. It's offensive. I wouldn't say it's a good article, but it was an article. Don't preach on the blood because that might offend somebody. Don't, don't pass an offering plate because that's too in your face. 
Imagine somebody saying that the blood is offensive standing at the foot of Jesus Christ about the time they pierced his side and it would have flowed all over him. I think it's great to consider the, where we live and how we do things, but everything we do should point to the worship of God. I read a little commentator this week. I read different things as I study. This particular gentleman said that worship became more about them and they became careless and then careless turned to convenience and then convenience turned to contentment and then contentment turned to commercialism and then commercialism turned to corruption. I've often said this, I can take you to Atlanta because that's where I'm from and you ride down some of the major highways in downtown old Atlanta and you come across a beautiful church and you think, oh my goodness, what a beautiful church and you look on the sign of that church and and you don't even know what it is. It's some religious gathering where everybody is somebody and love is, I mean, it's just crazy and I, I went back one time and I Googled the history of this church and at one point this church was one of the strongest Bible-believing churches that help impact Atlanta back in the day. And now Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are nowhere to be found. How does that happen? Carelessness, convenience, contentment will always lead to corruption. See, if we're not welcoming the Holy Spirit in our midst, if we're not allowing the Spirit to be real to us, if our worship is not of God, then who are we worshiping? It just becomes a building and a religious organization. Look at verse 17 there. His disciples remember this, that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And and David was consumed with God and the worship of God. And in Psalm 69, it said that his enemies were against him. And so when we look at these verses in the temple, we see that Christ understood what faithfulness really is. And so Jesus now, it's funny, he didn't harm the sheep, he didn't harm the ox, he didn't take the money, he didn't hurt anybody, but he was fired up, I guarantee you. And he said, we're not doing this. Can you imagine, you're just sitting there and the religious, all the religious people would have been up probably on the steps in their fancy little clothes. and They probably had their little cut of the marketing going on out there. And here comes this Galilean, Nazarene person, the carpenter with a whip. Oxen start running and sheep start running. Money starts flying. Tables start overflowing. And they would approach Christ and they said, who are you to do this? So the Jews said, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. In three days. The world always says prove it. How many times have you been heard that? Prove it. Show me. Who are you to say that? Who are you? What gives you the right to say that? That's your opinion. They would have told Christ. Who are you to say that these cannot be doing these things? We're doing these things. There's a reason why we're doing these things. Christ would say yeah but it's a wrong reason. That's the same question the world asks today. That's the same question the world is asking today. Who are you to say that? Who is he to say that? 
This week I had a conversation with a gentleman and he said, if you just do it your way, the right way, in the end it works out. Who are we to say who is right? Now that is an open door for your pastor, by the way. And I said, well, I will say this, that Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Who is it to say? It's Jesus Christ to say. The world is saying, prove it. And Jesus said, you destroy this temple, in verse 19, you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's saying there's not going to be any more need for this stuff. There's going to be no more rituals, no more ceremonies, no more works. Jesus said it is about grace through faith. In three days, this temple will be raised up. Have you noticed the irony in this and what's taking place? Jesus Christ came to earth. The the temple was built to point people to their need of forgiveness and to worship God. And he sent Jesus Christ to fulfill that temple. And Jesus Christ lived on the earth as a perfect sinless sacrifice for their sin. And he is literally standing at the steps of the temple. I'm here. Who are you to do these things? Prove it. Here's the irony of it. The ones that said prove it are the ones that sent him to be arrested. The ones that said prove it are the ones that had him hung on a cross so that he could prove it. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Prove it. Oh, I will. (laughs) And you're going to help me prove it. The advantage we have has already been proved We don't have to prove anything. We know that Jesus Christ is the answer for everything. They came to the temple to deal with sin. Jesus Christ has dealt with sin. They came to the temple to worship God. We cannot worship God unless we've repented of our sin and place our faith in Christ. That is the only way that we can worship God. Prove it. I did. You know, something that's wonderful about that, if you read the Gospels, as Christ is dying on the cross, as darkness fell over the land and a, a great earthquake began to rumble and the temple veil that separated the temple from the holies of holies, it said in God's word, I love this, that the temple veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. So that there was no barrier between the holies of holies and where everyone else stood. No one entered the holies of holies unless you were the priest on that given day. And when Christ was dying on the cross and in John 21 and John 20, when Jesus Christ says, it is finished, God said, yes, it is. And he took that veil and he ripped it in two and he said, the new temple is now here. Isn't that incredible to think about? All that man is looking for to have a relationship with God is found in the simple message of Jesus Christ. There is a holy God and there is man. And man in his sin is separated from that holy God, the holy God of creation, the God that 
keeps and sustains all things. We are separated from God over our sin and God knew that and God had a plan of that and he said he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever and he began to quicken the hearts and open the eyes of people and because of what Christ has done we can receive Christ by faith and be saved. There's no more need for a temple. Jesus Christ is the answer. Verse 22, when he is raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. I always get a kick out of things. Sometimes my, my way of thinking, we all think differently. Now, the Holy Spirit had not fallen upon them as believers then. And so once the Holy Spirit came upon them in a way that only the Holy Spirit can do it, he, he opens up our eyes to the truth. And so can you imagine the disciples living with Christ, hearing Christ, believing in Christ, but without the Spirit, they just couldn't quite grasp it. So Jesus dies, raises from the dead. He, he sends the Spirit upon the disciples. Can you imagine those chill bump aha moments when the Holy Spirit began to reveal things to them. I, I chuckle sometimes thinking what they would have done. Can you imagine them walking down the street one day going, remember at the temple? Oh my goodness, I just got that. Remember we had come from the wedding, we were in the temple and Jesus said, I will do this, I die. he's done it. Isn't that incredible to think what those disciples were going through is they remember these things. He's done it. I mean, you want to talk about evangelistic zeal. They would have been running around saying, he is the answer. He, he told you who he was and he is who he says that he is. And we have to believe what he has done. Why are we not that way? Do we believe that, you know, I, I said one time, now, Sometimes I say things get taken the wrong way. I get home and Sharon goes, now, honey, I know that God has a plan for Israel, but it's only going to be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think there's a danger in our evangelical world that we've stepped back and we just, we are so in, I don't know what the word is. I, tell, I told somebody one time and they looked at me like I had horns growing out of my head. I said, if you had that much zeal that you have for the nation of Israel just to share the gospel in your city, great things could take place. And I'm like, what do you mean? God has a great plan for the nation of Israel, but it's only going to be by faith through Jesus Christ. I love the nation of Israel because of who they are, but they're not coming to faith until there's going to be, I think, an outpouring of faith of the Israelites toward the end, but it's only through Jesus Christ and not going back in. They're not going to come to faith in Christ and then go in the back door of the old temple. We had the answer for everything. It is Jesus Christ. And then last, notice those last two verses. We see Christ and what true faith is. We see Christ saying who he is as the real temple. Now we see Christ and only that Christ can do looking at a sincere heart. And so I thought about this this morning real early. Let's look at this backwards. 
Jesus says we got to get the worship right. Let's look at it forward, the way I did it. Jesus said we got to get worship right, true and faithful worship. Is to understand who the real temple is, who Jesus Christ is. And then our heart gets right. If our heart is right, we get Jesus right, we get worship right. If we're not worshiping right, Jesus isn't right to us. It's like I love being a pastor and and being out in the community. Y'all mean well by it, so I'm not picking on you. Pastor, sorry we couldn't make it to church. We were busy. When we say that, we're saying walking into the building. That's what we're saying. Sorry I couldn't make it to the building. We're not missing church. We're missing worship. Now, you want to be convicted? Play that out in your mind. When you stay home because you're tired, what are you missing? Church? Worship. When you've had a rough week and you just can't get out, worship. When you've got activities, worship. When your kids are involved with stuff, worship. You know what we're telling people? Worship's not that important. Now, church is a building in, in a context. Church, going to church is just a building. We can say, sorry, I missed church. Worship. Corporate worship. Coming together as believers and just the uniqueness in our family and singing songs of praise and giving. I look at giving as an act of worship. You want to talk about worship? Worship to me is being able to give back to God what he has given to me. That is giving is worship to me. Singing is worship to me. I don't know whoever stands beside me on the front row. They may walk away going, boy, he can't sing. You know what? I'm not singing to you. Because sometimes when I'm standing right there, the deacon, you know, they don't ever say that. They probably think, boy, he's like an angel singing up here. I'm not singing to you. It's worship. We are coming together to worship God. And if God is not the most important thing in our life, we're no different than sitting out in the court of Gentiles selling dove and pigeons under the name of religion. We belong to the church and we do this because of who God is and what a privilege that we get. Have you ever thought about the privilege that we have to worship God? That we can personally know him and know that he has sent his son for us and that we have a relationship with him. Notice Christ. Now when he was in Jerusalem in the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the sign that he was doing. Don't take that to mean that they were converted and that it was biblical conversion. They just liked what he was doing. Whenever Jesus was doing miracles and stuff, man, he could draw a crowd. Hey, you want to draw a crowd? Feed 5,000 on nothing. You want to see a crowd get stirred up? Start casting demons out of people. You want to see that crowd dramatically drop? Start putting nails in my hands and my feet and arresting those that followed them. Hey, did you hear about the guy that, man, he got the Pharisees fired up? Man, social media would have exploded. That guy went in there and started flipping over tables and doves started going and he made the Pharisees all, man, that was awesome. Where's he going to be tomorrow? 
Jesus said, but Jesus on his part, I can't even put this in the, I can't even wrap my mind around this. Jesus did on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Jesus looked immediately into their heart and knew where they stood. Yes, he did miracles and signs to point to who he was, but it was so much more than miracles and signs. If religion is about activity and the special and not about the Savior, we miss it. One of the struggles that we have in church, and I heard old preachers say this years ago, and we've heard it a thousand times, what you keep them, win them with is what you got to keep them with. If you got all the buzzers and the whistles to draw a crowd, you got to have the buzzers and the whistles to keep them coming. Do I think we need to do things and to, to celebrate who we are to church? Yes. Do we need to do special things to, to reach out into our community? I say yes. But the main thing that we do is biblically gather and worship God. That is enough. I don't know where you are this morning. Here's some encouraging words. Jesus knows your heart. Think about it from the gospel's account. Just earlier in John, he said he knew Simon in his heart. He said he knew Nathaniel. John 4, 29 and following, he looked at the Samaritan woman. And sometimes we miss things. We read scripture so fast. When, when he sat down with the Samaritan woman at the well and told him these things, and then the woman at the well, she left and went and told her family. This is what she said. Come see, and, and come see the man that has told me everything about my life. That is a wonderful word. Jesus Christ knows everything about our life. He knows who we are. He knows what we have done. And he knows what forgiveness and love is all about. You went to the temple to be confronted with sin, but you went to the temple to receive love and forgiveness. Jesus Christ looked into the heart of that Samaritan woman and said, I know everything you have done, but I'm still here for you. He told the religious leaders in, in John's gospel 5, chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He said it, whoever hears my word and believes will have eternal life. And then a few verses later, he said, but I know you do not have the love of God within you. So in one sentence, he said, if you hear and believe, you have eternal life and you will not stand in judgment. And then a few verses later, he looked at religious leaders and said, but I know your heart and you do not have love for me in there. He wants us to look and to live and believe and receive and to follow. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. He'll forgive you. He'll love you. And just as John 13 says, all he wants is true worship to the Father. All he wants is a people that understand there's no need for the old temple. There's only a need to understand the gospel. That God is holy and he is righteous. And that we are sinners just by the way we're born. It's not we're sinners because we're bad people. We're, we're, we're bad people that we're sinners. We're all bad people. 
We need Jesus Christ, every one of us. Apart from saving faith, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But God made us alive in Christ Jesus, Ephesians tell us. So the gospel is, yes, there's a need because of the holiness of God, but Jesus Christ fulfills that need. And if we respond in faith for forgiveness of our sin, Christ said that he would receive us and that we become children of God. And we understand what the temple is, Jesus Christ. That's life. The temple represents dead religion and the works and trying to do things. Jesus cleansed the temple. And he says, I am the temple. And if you destroy me in three days, I will rise up and be the true temple. Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for being the true temple. We thank you for true worship, for the death, burial, and resurrection as our Lord and Savior, for the giving of the Spirit, for the gathering of the body. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can truly worship you. And so, Lord, as we gather, as we sing, as we respond, I pray we do so obediently. If there's anyone here this morning that has never embraced the true message of Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day that they would receive the gift of salvation. That they would repent of their sin and place their faith in you. And Lord, I pray that as the church, that we don't become the the law and the works of religion, that we realize that Jesus Christ, you are the temple, and that we are here to worship a one true and a holy God. That yes, we have a first Baptist church of Avon Park, but this church is about the worship of God. Let our heart be right, so therefore the gospel will be right, so that therefore our worship will be right. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.